This morning, I will be reading Philippians chapter 1, verse 27 through 30 in my native tongue of Portuguese. Somente deveis portai-vos dignamente conforme o Evangelho de Cristo, para que quer vá e vos veja, quer esteja ausente, ouça acerca de vós que sais no mesmo espírito, combatendo juntamente com o mesmo ânimo pela fé do Evangelho. E em nada vos espanteis os que resistem, o que para eles, na verdade, é indício de perdição, mas para vós de salvação, e isto de Deus. Porque a vós vos foi concedido em relação a Cristo, não somente crer nele, como também padecer por ele, tendo o mesmo combate que já em mim tens visto e agora ouvis estar em mim. The word of the Lord. Brooklyn will be reading um, Philippians 27 through 30, 1, 27 through 30, in Spanish to honor our Latinx brothers and sisters. Pase lo que pase, comportense de una manera digna del Evangelio de Cristo. De este modo, ya sea que vaya a verlos o que estando ausente, solo tenga noticias de ustedes. Ustedes saben que siguen firma, firmes en un mismo propósito, luchando unánimes por la fe del Evangelio y sin temor alguno a sus adversarios, lo cual es para ellos señal de destrucción. Para ustedes, en cambio, es señal de salvación. Y esto proviene de Dios, porque a ustedes se les ha concedido no solo creer en Cristo, sino también sufrir por él. Pues sostienen la misma lucha de antes me vieron sostener y que ahora saben que sigo sosteniendo. 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 So, uh, the word of the Lord. We are certainly blessed <laughs> to hear the Word of God in so many languages. Uh, well, welcome and good morning again, everyone. Uh, you may have noticed that Pastor Chris is not with us today. Um, he is unfortunately at home and maybe even watching this service with us online, but he is recovering from a surprise case of COVID. So we are sad to be missing him, especially as he was so excited to be here as part of this service with us. Uh, he was also intending to preach today, which for obvious reasons he is not able to do, but um, I am very grateful that he had some great notes and thoughts to pass on. So to give credit where credit is due, just know that much of what we'll be hearing is due to the hard work of Pastor Chris. Um, but with that in mind, I would like to start us off with a story. So in a small 
tribal village in northern India in the 19th century. There was a family who gave their life to Jesus, and they converted to Christianity after hearing the story of the gospel from some missionaries who were visiting there. Uh, But the village chief and many other members of the community were not happy about this. They were incredibly angry, in fact, and they forced this family out into the public square. And they were told that they could either recant their faith or face public execution. And even in the face of what I can only imagine must have been absolute terror, the father started to sing his reply, I have begun to follow Jesus. No turning back, no turning back. And at his refusal to recant, the chief ordered the execution of his two children. They were shot with arrows right before their parents' eyes. The chief then asked the man again, will you deny your faith? You've lost both your children. You will lose your wife too. But the man only kept singing, though none go with me, still I will follow. No turning back, no turning back. And with that, his wife was also killed. And at this point, furious at his continued refusal, the chief said again, I will give you one more chance to deny your faith and live. But still the man kept singing. All four members of the family died that day. But something miraculous also happened. A seed was planted in the heart of that village chief. There was something about seeing a man who was willing to die for what he so strongly believed that moved him. And soon afterward, he called the community together again, and he declared that he himself was now a Christian. I know. And from that point on, the gospel started to spread, not only throughout that community, but into the region beyond as well, all because of one demonstration of real life-changing faith in Jesus. For the last 2,000 years, someone has always been trying to stop the singing of the followers of Jesus. It started with the crucifixion of Jesus himself and continued on all throughout the early church as word of his gospel started to spread, I grew up hearing stories of many early Christians who were martyred on crosses like Christ, or who were stoned to death, or who were sent into the Roman Colosseum to be fed to the lions as a spectacle in the arena at the Roman Games. But as devastating as it is to acknowledge that these things happen even in the past, the persecution of the church is still happening today. More followers of Jesus were martyred in the 20th century than in all other centuries of history combined. In fact, that century has been the bloodiest for people of all religions. And the 21st century isn't off to a whole lot better start. I mean, for all of our economic advancements and social progress, the world has still managed to graduate into deeper and deeper violence. And it's easier in the U.S., I think, with all the protections that we have on our religious liberty to take our freedom of worship for granted, right? I mean, there's plenty of religious tension, yes, and even we have seen our fair share of death, especially in the last few years. But on the whole, we live in relative safety when it comes to worshiping God. And in that place of safety, we can forget that so much of the world still lives without it. So many of our Christian sisters and brothers believe in Jesus and worship him under the threat of death every day. 
And on a day like today, as we celebrate World Communion Sunday together with the rest of the global church, we are reminded that we're part of something bigger than just us. We're connected to all of the rest of the saints across time and space. And it reminds us that part of our role as members of the global body of Christ is to not forget, to be mindful and aware of the real cost of following Jesus and to stand in solidarity with the ones who are paying that cost. So we're gonna take some time today to remember the persecutions that have taken place in our world. It started with the execution of the early Christians and it has escalated in recent years, not only to large-scale massacres, but also to Christian genocides and ongoing religious persecution in countries all around the world. Take a look with me at this report from the U.S. Commission on International Religious Freedom last year. Uh, slide before. Yep. They identified countries who are high on the world watch list for engaging in severe or particularly severe violations of religious freedom. So these are things that include torture or cruel or inhumane punishment, detention without charges, abduction of citizens, or any other flagrant denial of the right to life and freedom and security because of someone's religious beliefs. Notice on the map, that these things are happening in many countries around the world. For the first time ever, Afghanistan is number one on the world watch list, having just replaced North Korea, which has been at the top of the list for more than 20 years. Nigeria climbed two spots on the watch list because of the violence that has been targeted against Christians in that country. India is still in the top 10 because of its repression of Christian minorities. Myanmar rose six spots last year to number 12, thanks in large part to the military coup that targeted many communities, including Christian communities across the country. Saudi Arabia's score rose to extreme levels in reflection of the fact that any Saudi who converts from Islam to Christianity is now in immediate danger. And Russia became a country of particular concern because of its persecution of Protestants and Jehovah Witnesses and Orthodox Christians. There's so much danger and hate that exists throughout the world for people who believe in the wrong faith. You know, I mean, think about these figures too, just from last year. In 2021 alone, over 360 million Christians were living in places where they experienced high levels of persecution and discrimination. 5,898 Christians were killed for their faith that we know of. More than 5,000 churches and Christian buildings were attacked, and just under 5,000 believers were detained at some point without trial, were arrested, sentenced, or imprisoned. This is staggering, right? When we talked last Sunday about what it was like to be given more than we can handle, I'd say this is a pretty solid picture of what that looks like, right? But even still, these are just numbers until we remember that every number has a story attached to it. Every number has a story attached to it, just like the one we heard about the man and his family who were murdered. This is why these stories, even though they make us uncomfortable, deserve to be told. The story of a woman in India who watches her sister get dragged away by Hindu nationalists and doesn't know if she's alive or dead. The story of a man in a North Korean prison camp who wakes up after being beaten into unconsciousness. 
the story of a family in Indonesia weeping as they watch armed men burn down their church. The story of a woman in Nigeria running for her life after she's escaped from Boko Haram. She's now pregnant, and it's likely that the members of her community are going to reject both her and her baby. The story of a pastor in Afghanistan that gets a text message that says that the Taliban knows he's a Christian and they're coming for him. These people don't live in the same country or even on the same continent, but they share one important characteristic. They're all Christians and they all suffer because of their faith. Christian persecution takes many different forms, but it's defined on the whole as any hostility experienced as a result of identification with Jesus Christ. So what are we to make of these stories? The Apostle Paul would unfortunately tell us not to be surprised by them. He would tell us that this is part of what it means to be a Christian, to hold fast to the love of Christ, even against all the danger and the hate of the world. In our text for this morning for the, from the book of Philippians, he urges the believers in Philippi to live a life worthy of the gospel of Christ. Live a life worthy of the gospel of Christ. This is a, a challenging phrase, I find, in part because what Paul doesn't mean is that we need to make ourselves worthy of Christ and his love, right? Christ is worthy. He is the only one that is worthy, and his love has already been freely given on our behalf. What it does mean is that through the Holy Spirit's work in us, we are transformed into the likeness of Christ in a manner worthy of the good news of the kingdom. It's Christ's worthiness and courage and sacrificial love living itself out in us that demonstrates what it means to be a Christian. The word here for worthy is the Greek word axios, where we get our word axle. And so what Paul's trying to point out here is that the Christian life is now centered on and revolves around the person of Jesus Christ. Our identity turns on his identity so that his joys are our joys, and his mission is our mission, and his cross is our cross. That's the key to understanding what Paul means in verse 29 when he says, for he has graciously granted you the privilege not only of believing in Christ, but of suffering for him as well. It doesn't sound like much of a privilege to me, to be honest, but that's what it means. To be a Christian is to suffer with Christ, to bear a cross instead of a sword. Jesus said the same thing when he told his disciples, if you want to be my followers, if any want to become my followers, let them deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. So when we hear this phrase, taking up or bearing our cross, it's sort of far removed from what we experience in this culture. We don't always know what to do with it. And I think we typically turn it into a metaphor, right, for withstanding difficult trials and going through difficult times. And for the most part, this is true to our lived experience. But bearing the cross of Christ isn't simply a metaphor for the millions of Christians who are persecuted around the world. There's another story I want to share with you from a pastor in Sudan. When he was interviewed, he told the story 
of a couple who came to him wanting to buy back their children who had been stolen away by Islamic fundamentalists. If they didn't buy the children back, they were told that they were gonna be sold to the north as slaves. But they didn't have enough money. So in the end, they couldn't afford the ransom for all of the children. So they had to choose which children to redeem and which ones they had to let go. I mean, can you even imagine having to choose between your children or your parents or your friends, having to decide who lives and who doesn't? That is bearing a cross. And the thing that you and I need to recognize deep into our bones is that these aren't just children in far-off Sudan or families in India or churches in Myanmar. These are your children and my children, your family and my family, your church and my church. They belong not just to terrified parents or communities around the world, but also to the family of God. And that is our family. We belong to them same as we belong to Christ, and they belong to us. So when Paul urges us to live a life worthy of the gospel, notice that he says, it's so that I will know that you are standing firm in one spirit, striving side by side with one mind for the faith of the gospel. It's our unity that matters. It's our identification with one another. The Christian faith is a communal faith. One part doesn't exist without the other. Paul wrote to the Corinthians and said, within the body of Christ, if one part suffers, every part suffers with it. Their suffering is our suffering. And if we don't understand or identify with the stories of the persecuted, then we don't understand part of our own story. And that is to our detriment. Not only because scripture says that we suffer with one another, but also because we can do our part to help them, and they can also help us. When we see the magnitude of the suffering that exists in the world, it's often overwhelming. You know, it's hard to feel like any one person can really make a difference in that, that there's anything we can really do in the face of that much suffering. But in the words of Richard Stearns, who is the former president of World Vision, he says, don't fail to do anything just because you can't do everything. Don't fail to do anything just because you can't do everything. I mean, there are many Christians who are doing their part to bring an end to suffering whether that's through financial contributions to churches or relief agencies who are working in these persecuted countries or advocating for policy changes or even sending teams to, to share the gospel and to serve in places like Kenya, which we get to do next year. The church is at its best when Christ's love is active through us in the world, right? But the most important thing we can do is still to pray. I know this gets harped on a lot nowadays, that thoughts and prayers are not enough, and to some extent that is true, right? Our prayers should compel us into action as the hands and feet of Jesus. But prayer is still the most important tool that we have. 
It's what persecuted church leaders all around the world are asking for because at the end of the day, it's God alone that they are putting their trust in. They're literally betting their lives on the gospel. And they believe that God is moved by the prayers of the family of faith. And that's us. I mean, perhaps now, today, is a good occasion for us to take inventory of the content of our prayers. You know, it's good and right for us to pray for our own needs and struggles and for the needs of those in our particular community. We need to lean on God in the same way as anyone else does. And our suffering is not minimized by the existence of someone else's suffering. But we should also make room in our daily habits of prayer for our global family who are persecuted and afraid and who need us. We belong to them and they belong to us. The other thing for us to remember is that in as little or as much as we might be able to do for the persecuted church, there is much that they already do to help us. They are our best teachers in the faith. They're the ones who know what it's like to put their lives on the line for the sake of the gospel. I mean, the reason that they are being persecuted is because they have chosen a side in the great conflict between the kingdom of hate and injustice and the kingdom of Christ. Kingdom of hate and injustice and the kingdom of Christ. And they would remind us that we too have to choose which kingdom to serve. And notice that the persecuted church doesn't rise up in arms to meet injustice with injustice or violence with violence. This might be one of the most incredible things about the witness of the global church. They remind us that being part of the family of God not only means withstanding, but having love even for the persecutor. That sounds particularly hard. But in this kingdom, we turn the other cheek. We expose the futility of injustice and hate by insisting that our faith does not allow us to become unjust ourselves. Jesus once looked down from the cross into the eyes of his own persecutors and said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And even as much as we desperately want to get back at the ones that hurt us, our persecuted family of faith, who have earned the right to be our teachers, will tell us to choose the side of love. Because you never know what seeds that's going to plant. And let me be clear on one thing at this point. This doesn't mean that we should willingly allow ourselves to be hurt or abused or persecuted. Those who are enduring this throughout the world would tell us to avoid it, to flee from it, even to protect ourselves from it. This is not lying on the rug and asking to be abused in any way but we also can't allow the experience of pain to turn us into the people who inflict it. It has to be up to God to bring justice in his own time. We have to be able to hand that over because our job, remember, is to listen to the voices of the persecuted and with their courage, lean on Christ and his radical love to make us worthy of the gospel. And the church has not always done this very well. Right? We have more than our fair share of sins to apologize for. <laughs> because as much as we've been on the receiving end of persecution, we have also been its cause. So to choose the side of love not only means standing with our persecuted, 
but with all the persecuted, Muslim, Jew, Hindu, Buddhist, everyone. So long as one person is harmed, that is against the gospel of the love of Christ. There is one world, one God, and two competing kingdoms. Everyone has to choose a side. Will we serve hate and injustice, or will we serve the God of love no matter the cost? I want to close today with one more story, uh, and this one is from Nelson Mandela. Uh, in his autobiography called The Long Walk to Freedom, he wrote about his experience of 27 years of imprisonment in South Africa. And he claimed that one of his greatest sources of encouragement during that time is when he and the other prisoners would sing. They sang songs and hymns from their homes and their churches, and it brought them hope. It reminded them of the love and suffering of Jesus who was with them. And Mandela claims that these songs terrified the guards because their insistence on singing meant that the prisoners were still free. Again, the followers of Christ continue to sing. And in a moment, we are also going to sing, I have decided to follow Jesus, which has lived on in the church since the man in India sung it on the day he was killed. And when we sing these songs in worship and we pray our prayers, remember that they're so much more than just words. These are an act of radical defiance in the face of hate. And they are a claim of radical love. So choose today to pray for the persecuted and for the persecutor. Choose to learn from the ones who have paid the cost of following Jesus. Choose to bet your life on radical, world-changing love. Because if Jesus, in fact, is the Lord of love that we have staked our claim on, even in the face of death, we are not overcome. We can sing, and we can celebrate, and we can still rejoice. Amen? Let's pray. Holy Lord, it's devastating to hear the stories of the persecuted across time and across space, especially when we are so far removed from much of it ourselves. It's easy to feel small. It's easy to feel incapable of knowing how to handle and resist the evil and the hate that exist in the world. But thank you, God, that we do not lean on a strength that is just our own. Thank you that we can stand alongside these brothers and sisters in spirit and lean on your strength and your courage to meet hate with love, even if it means death. We pray for our family across the world, the ones who are losing their churches and their children and their family. We know that they are our family and we grieve with them, Lord. And we ask, we ask for your providence and your mercy to descend, that you would change the hearts of those who feel like anger is their only recourse and violence is the only way. Because God, we know that you have come to bring a deeper way, a more loving way, a radical, world-changing way. 
Change our hearts even today, Lord. Make us into people who are worthy of your gospel. It's in your son's name we ask it. Amen.